We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've gotten during the pandemic with the masterminds that I run is that principals are enjoying talking about instruction and not just talking about COVID rules and regulations. It's one of the great things that we get to do in the mastermind is focus on the things that really matter. And sometimes we try to focus on other things, on the distractions that take us away from our vision, but we're always able to come back because our whole goal is to help us get our schools to where they need to be. So I would love to have you in there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about it before. You probably have questions. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind and let's set up a time to call, to talk about it. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind and then click on schedule a call. I look forward to talking with you. Again, that's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Welcome to Transformative Principle. Today, I'm excited to welcome to the program Dr. Chad Dumas. He's an educational consultant, international presenter, and award-winning researcher whose primary focus is collaborating to develop capacity for continuous improvement. And we are excited to talk today about his book, which is Putting the C in PLC, or Put the C in PLC is the name of the book, if you want to look for that. And you can also find a link to buy that book at uh, jethrojones.com slash podcast. So Chad, welcome to Transformative Principle. Happy to have you. Oh, thanks so very much for being here. I'm really a big fan and I appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners some, some of my thoughts. 
Well, good. I'm excited to talk with you also. Um, it's always fun to have a good nerdy conversation. So I'm looking forward to that today. And, you know, we're talking about PLCs and I've, I've had guests on the podcast to talk about PLCs numerous times. And it's one of those things in education that I think might be at the point where it's, it's almost lived its lifespan and is ready to either be retired or rethought of. You know, I was a, a principal and a teacher in numerous schools and lots of schools said they were PLCs and they acted totally differently than other schools. So let's just start by defining what clearly is a PLC and how do you know if you're in a PLC school? Yeah, you know, uh, I think your point is really well taken that, uh, you know, I, I saw some research actually, I think it was back in November, December from Peter DeWitt. And he shared that the number one hated term in education is PLC. And I thought, wow, you know, first of all, there's a lot of terms that you could hate. <laughs> and education has some pretty stiff competition there. Uh, but second of all, wow, you know, we must not be, quote unquote, doing PLCs the way they're intended to be done. Uh, because we know from 50, 60 years of educational research that if we want to improve learning for kids and we want to create equitable outcomes for all students, then the best way to do that is by getting our teachers working together in a collaborative environment focused on improving their effectiveness and results for students. And so in, in like the simplest sense, that's a professional learning community where we're all together taking collective responsibility for student learning. We're using results to assess our practice to get better. And then we're working together to make it happen. I mean, that's like this ethos, if you will, or this culture of a PLC. And I hope that that idea doesn't go away because we know it works. Uh, I hope the specific ideas of what PLCs are not that many times are happening in schools right now, I hope that can go away and that we can shift towards true cultures where we're doing those three things. We're focusing on learning first, we're using our results, and we're working together to get better at our practice. So you say put the C back in uh, PLC. What is what does that mean? So as your listeners know, PLC is our acronym for Professional Learning Community, and the idea is uh, community. That uh, you know, many times PLCs are a time, and it's at three o'clock on Wednesdays, right? Or it's a group of people, and the third grade team is a PLC. That's how we refer to it. And really what PLC is this community, it's a community of professionals who are working together to learn and improve our practice. That's a professional learning community. The idea is that, you know, all kinds of folks have done a lot of work around PLCs over the literally 50, 60 years. Uh, Shirley Horde did the first work in the 70s uh, around this. And then the DeFores kind of came along and put together specific processes. And Michael Fullen talks about how you lead change and Todd Whitaker does a lot of work around leadership practices and Stiggins about assessment. Like there's all these experts in all these different areas of what it takes to build a PLC, but nobody has come and said, look, building principle, or if you're a central office person supporting building principle, or if you're a teacher leader who's aspiring to be a principal or in a teacher leadership role, what do you need to know to to build a PLC, to create this collaborative community. And so 
I had combed through the research of all those gurus that I mentioned earlier and identified 10 elements of principal knowledge. This is what you need to know to be able to build a collaborative environment for teachers. I originally did that work to uh, build a dissertation. And uh, that dissertation was a finalist for PDK's uh, Outstanding Dissertation um, Award, and it received Learning Forward's Best Research. And then that those ideas were put into practice in a mid-sized district in South Central Nebraska with high poverty, high diversity school district that over the course of five, six, seven years went from being labeled as persistently lowest achieving to having five out of the seven schools national models for improving student learning. And that's because of taking these ideas and putting them into practice. Like, how do we create this community of professionals who are learning together to improve our practice and results for kids? Yeah, very good. You know, my very first interview on this podcast, all the way back in 2013, many years ago, was from, was with uh, Sandra Jolovich Motes, who did something very similar in, in her school, took them from being the very bottom of the barrel in the whole state to being one of the top 10 schools in the state. And she was the first person that I met where I said, man, I really should find out what the secret is. And so sure enough, I went and asked her and I bet um, many of the things in your book would be similar to what she did, but she, you know, actually had really great processes around building a collaborative environment and a community in her school so that we were actually focused on student learning and kids could benefit from the results of the teachers working together. So, you know, we certainly don't have time to go through uh, all 10 elements of those of that principal knowledge. However, um, first of all, I didn't know there were awards for amazing dissertations. I didn't even know that. Yes, they are. I thought people just, <laughs> you know, wrote them and put them on a shelf and, and they were like school improvement plans and that nobody ever looked at them again. But congratulations on getting, uh, being a finalist in that award. That's pretty cool. Thank you. One of the areas is having a collaborative culture. How is a collaborative culture different than just a great culture in your school? Because there is a difference between just a good culture and a collaborative culture. So collaborative culture really, in the way I think of it with PLCs, you know, this idea of this ethos or culture really is focused on doing those three big ideas as the DeFores talk about, right? We're focused on learning, we're using our results, and we're getting better. Uh, I think you can have a healthy, quote unquote, healthy culture in a school and not necessarily be working together to improve learning. Like we get together and we have great uh, staff meetings or we get together and, you know, in teams and, you know, every week somebody brings food and, you know, we have a really good time. We have really well organized field trips and kids are well behaved in the hallway and all these types of things. Um, Those may or may not actually improve student learning. And the key to, I think, a a PLC culture is that we're focused on improving student learning and our practice as adults that goes along with it. So I think that would maybe be one of the key distinctions. There are probably some others, but that would be like one of the key ones in my mind is, are we actually focused on the learning of students and our role as adults in improving that practice? Yeah, in in once the second school I was a teacher at, we I believe we're doing really well with that. That we were focused, we were determined, and we met for the purpose of improving student learning. And it wasn't, you know, because it was PLC time or anything like that. And really what you said a few minutes ago about 
PLC is a time in many schools. That's not what we were about at all. It was very focused on improving student learning. And we saw how students improved when we made that focus. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't always pretty, to be honest. And there were some adult fights sometimes <laughs> and not, you know, certainly didn't come to blows, but we had very strong opinions and we voiced those. And I was really grateful for having that productive conflict that we had yes. um, in in the school. So, you know, I, I still feel like those teachers that I was on a team with were and still are some of my best friends and people that I I would love to, we don't live close to each other now, but I would love to catch up with them. And I have on occasion done that. And it really does make a big difference. So let's talk a little bit about that conflict that can exist and how to set that up so that it's productive and not destructive. I heard someone once say that if there's three of us in a room and we all agree, then two of us are unnecessary. And I think that's maybe what you're getting to is this idea of we we need to engage in cognitive conflict. We need to be sharing ideas with each other. The problem that we run into many times in schools and in life is that we engage in, we shift out of cognitive conflict and get into affective conflict and we become in conflict with each other personally. And, and that's no bueno, no good. We want to stay into in cognitive conflict. And so there's some skills and strategies that are helpful to be able to stay in cognitive conflict for any principal that's working with staff or with staff that are working with each other or staff that are working with the principal, whatever, or, or spouses working with each other. There's three skills in particular that comes from the cognitive coaching world and the adaptive schools world. And those are pausing, paraphrasing, and posing questions. And I, I, I refer to it as a three plus one because those are the three, but in the plus one is in a, an environment of being in rapport with each other. And so when we are in rapport with each other, then we use those three skills and it helps us to stay in cognitive conflict. If you don't mind, I'll just share briefly with you and your listeners a little bit about these three plus one. So, so rapport is a physical expression of being in relationship with someone. And you'll, you can notice this, uh, you know, as the pandemic winds down and we get out into restaurants more and more, you can notice when you go to a restaurant and look around the room, you'll notice people who are in rapport with each other and people who are not. And it's really easy to tell those who are not because there'll be maybe a couple who are not in rapport and you can just tell by looking at them that they're not because, you know, they're not leaning into each other. They're not nodding heads along with each other. They're not, you know, if one's making large arm gestures, the other one's making small gestures or whatever, right? I mean, this being in rapport with someone, there's a mirroring that's happened, that happens, mirroring in terms of intonation of voice, in terms of body expression, head tilt movement, like all these nonverbal things. And so that's important to get into rapport with someone. So if I'm, if I know I'm going to be in cognitive conflict with someone, I need to, or if I am in cognitive conflict, I need to purposely work to mirror the body language of the other person, not mimic them because that's going to just tick them off. But I want to mirror that so that we can stay in rapport. Um, it's kind of, kind of reminds me of the idea that, you know, uh, no one in the history of the world has ever calmed down by being told to calm down, right? Because, because you're not in rapport. So if somebody's upset, 
what you have to do is, is match them. And then you can gradually work them down into a calm state by being in rapport. So that's the first idea. And then the three specific skills of pausing, paraphrasing, and probing for specificity, um, really powerful for being in cognitive conflict because, so for instance, on pausing, and I just paused for your listeners, right? It, it allows the brain to, to get some blood flow to it and to think. Right, the, the prefrontal cortex is where all of our thought happens and it's the furthest away from the heart. So it takes the longest time for the blood to get there and the oxygen and the flow, not like the amygdala right in the back that you know is the fight or flight mechanism that, that, that is what responds when we're in affective conflict. So simply taking a breath, simply pausing, simply breaking rapport and looking off into the distance and thinking for a second can do wonders for facilitating cognitive conflict. After a pause, then a paraphrase can be really helpful. So it sounds like one of the priorities for you in this case is blah, 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 blah. So you would like to see X, Y, and Z happen. So there's three things going on right now. One, two, three. So if I pause and allow myself to process and allow them to think, and then I paraphrase for them, now I've opened up a communication channel where, uh, whereby that person either knows that I understand or has an opportunity to clarify because I don't understand, right? And, and this enables that cognitive conflict to proceed and not get into effective conflict. And then finally, the use of uh, probing questions so probing for specificity, you're asking questions about, you know, the situation. So can you tell me a little bit more about, so when you mentioned X, Y, and Z, tell me a little bit more about why that happened or how that happened, right? I mean, you know, lots of questioning skills and strategies, but, but the, the use of the three plus one, as I refer to it, is uh, very powerful and helpful in helping us be in cognitive conflict so that when we're with these teams, we can be effective. And like you said, when we, my experience is the same as yours. People who I've engaged in cognitive conflict with productively, I have the best relationships with over time. Yeah, that's definitely what I've, what I've seen as well. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. I think one thing I would add to the to the three plus one is when you're pausing, then, uh, you know, sometimes people could be caught off guard by that pause and it forces other people to think as well. And so if somebody's railing on you and, and then you pause and don't 
you know, react in the right. exact same way, then they can say, <laughs> wait a minute, what just happened here? Yeah. Why are they not? Okay, hold on. Let me, let me try to figure out what's going on. And, and I've seen that happen as well, where, you know, somebody can be frustrated or, or feeling not so great about things. And then you pause and they, they take a second to pause and calm down as well. It doesn't always happen, but that's, that's another thing that I've seen as well. So I'm working with a principal right now who's trying to get PLCs going in her school and is doing a lot of work around that. Um, and she's stressing because it feels like everything is going to take so long and nobody's going to buy in until so much later. But what are some things she can do to get some quick wins or early wins on introducing PLCs and, and creating these opportunities for teachers to really work together? Our work doesn't just go down in flames when we leave. Because <laughs> I remember somebody once said, you know, none of us is getting out of here alive. So all of us are going to be leaving at some point. So we all have to be thinking long term at some point when we're gone, uh, is our work going to sustain itself? So one of the things I think about, whether it's PLCs or curriculum implementation or instructional practices or MTSS, like choose your buzzword or choose your initiative that's going on, is in order for that to be effective, there really needs to be a, a leadership team. Some people might call them a uh, guiding coalition, and it depends on the school, right? Some people call it a school improvement team. Some people call it an advisory, whatever you call it, it doesn't matter. What matters is there's a, a group of folks who they're the ones who are taking the responsibility for making sure that whatever that initiative is, initiative X, is going gonna, is gonna to work. And there's some really important research that's been around for a little while on implementation science that says that if you do not have that team to lead the work, then after 17 years, you may have as high as like 14, 15% implementation. Whereas if you do have a leadership team that understands the change, first of all, and then second of all, they understand change itself. Like they understand that how to lead change. And so you have to build their capacity in how to lead change, which means that we as leaders, like nobody taught me how to lead change. I had to go out and learn that myself, right? So if that leadership team understands change and the initiative, within three years, you'll have close to 90% implementation. Now, three years is still a while, but it's better than 17 years and only, you know, best at 15%. Considering most principals aren't even in buildings for 17 years, I mean, of the of the hundreds of people that I've interviewed, very few have been around specifically in a single school for that long. Yeah. So I think the first thing is make sure you've got a leadership team and build the capacity of that leadership team to understand the change that you're after and then understand change theory, models, and processes. And then, so that's like a general, whether it's PLCs or anything else. In terms of PLCs itself, I think there's a couple of things that come to my mind. One is, make sure that you're talking with your staff about how to organize them for the teaming. Too many times I've seen that teachers are quote unquote thrown together in groups because it makes sense to schedule, but it doesn't make sense to those teachers and it doesn't make sense to the kids that they're teaching. And so make sure you're, you're opening that conversation and having those conversations with the staff to be able to figure out those teaming structures. And then second of all, once you have those teaming structures in place, 
work to make to build the capacity of those teams to be effective during that time. And there's two things that come to my mind in terms of the effectiveness of those teams. And it comes from a study from Google from just a few years ago, where they studied a couple hundred teams. And they looked at what makes an effective team effective. And it's not the content knowledge of the members, right? They're not experts at that. It's not how much they like each other, as you mentioned earlier. Like, it's not all these things that we sometimes think. It was two things. Two things make an effective team, according to this Google research. Number one, the ability of the members to read nonverbal cues from each other. Like, can I tell that Jethro's ticked off at me and am I responding accordingly? Or do I, am I just aloof to it? So like helping our staff read each other's emotional cues, number one, that's tough, but it can be done. And then number two, which is a little bit easier, equity of turn-taking. Does everybody in the group have an opportunity to express their voice in meaningful ways? And so, you know, in some groups, that's things like a timer, but more often than not, it's protocols. Like we have protocols in place. We have clear agendas. We have uh, norms or working agreements, depending on what you call it. But but these things are really important in terms of getting teams to be effective. So so that I guess that would be three pieces of advice for this principle is one, make sure you got a leadership team. Number two, make sure that you talk to the teachers whenever you're figuring out groupings. And number three, make sure that those groupings, that you're building the capacity of people to be effective when they're in those groups. Yeah, that's all great advice. And, you know, one thing I would just add to that is that as you're making sure the teams are effective during that time, that you have an idea of what effective means. Defining that, especially with your leadership team, seems like a given, but it's not always the case. And in different schools, I've had different experiences with what effective means during that time. And so in that school I was talking about earlier, effective means that we were reviewing our data from the student assessments and we were adjusting our instruction based on that. And we were a cross-curricular team. So we were then also determining places where we could bring each other's curriculum into our classroom and push our content into other people's classrooms as well. So for us, that's what effectiveness looked like. And in other schools, it, it was just different. So being able to define that clearly, what it is we need to be doing during that time is really important. Just want to remind everybody, uh, Dr. Chad Dumas, you can get his book and connect with him at nextlearningsolutions.com. And um, he is also on Twitter and you could follow him at uh, Chad D. Dumas. I'm sorry, Chad Dumas, excuse me. <laughs> um, so the, fo- the last question I would like to ask you, Chad, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? So thinking forward to next year, right? Because uh, we've got a summer coming up and then um, start of next year. And I always think about during my summer, how can I get myself to be most effective? And one of the things that I would highly recommend for most principals that I've worked with and most teachers as well, and this is a very simple, common thing that might be helpful to your your listeners. And that is to figure out a way, and I feel bad about saying this because it's not really very like, aha, mind blowing or anything, but it's figure out a way to get your email under control. (laughs) Um, And there's some great tools out there. I would suggest if you've not heard of Justin Bader and the 21 day leadership challenge, instructional leadership challenge, 
get on his website and take that leadership challenge over the course of this summer. It's like five minute videos over the course of three or four weeks. Watch those videos. You'll get some great tips about how to get your email under control. Because if your email is under control and other management aspects of your work are under control, you can spend more time and energy focusing on being that transformative leader in your school. So again, it's not like a a mind-blowing idea, but I've seen more of us than not who don't have our email under control. And I think if we did, we could be much more transformational. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I've talked a lot about email being the bane of our existence on here, <laughs> and especially during the pandemic. I mean, as soon as schools closed in the spring of yeah. 2020, my email inbox just quadrupled in size, just like that. And, you know, everything has come from, you know, having a casual conversation in the hall to mm-hmm. doing things on email. And I haven't seen it slow up that much. Like yeah. people are still relying on that a lot. And so one piece of advice I would have about that is to use different tools like Basecamp, which is my personal favorite, or Trello or Asana or Monday. There are a ton of different things out there that are really good and move some of that stuff out of email because email can just suck you in and make you think you're getting (laughs) stuff done when you're really not. So this is true. Yeah, uh, Chad, that you may feel like that's not really, you know, that deep or amazing, but let me just tell you that is a needed thing, and I appreciate you bringing that up. So, <laughs> oh, good. Well, thank you. Once again, thank you for listening to Transformative Principle. This has been a great conversation with Chad Dumas, uh, nextlearningsolutions.com, and on Twitter at Chad Dumas. Once again, thank you, Chad, for being part of Transformative Principle. Thanks so very much. Really appreciate it. It's an honor. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy. And it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. 
Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.